I am Sumit Gupta and this is Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams at work and life. This is a podcast for people who know deep inside that there is more. Have you achieved a great deal of success, but on the inside you still feel empty and like an imposter? Do other people see you as a strong leader and you wonder why it still feels so lonely and suffocating? The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. I dare to speak to the tremendous power which you already have rather than what you believe are your strengths and limitations. This podcast is called Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. And this is the Humble Inquiries series. In this series, Leslie joins me as my co-host to humbly inquire into some of the most pressing challenges leaders are facing today. We have curated these challenges from conversations with hundreds of leaders in the past few months. In each episode of Humble Inquiries, me and Leslie are deliberately going to put ourselves in the uncomfortable space of not knowing the answer and humbly inquiring about these challenges with the aim to provoke new thoughts, actions and practices to help us better serve our coaching clients and also help the leader in you navigate these challenges both at life and at work. Hi Leslie, welcome to another episode in the, the Choosing Leadership podcast. Hi Saman, uh, happy to be here again. Today we are going to continue what we started a couple of weeks ago, which was about teams. I think what we did earlier was just to introduce teams and talk about what makes a team. But one of the, the second biggest question which we have received from people is to how do we get teams to perform? How do we ensure that people are not just busy, but actually doing something and producing something of value? So do you want to set a context for what today's conversation is going to be about? Sure. And like you said, we talked about what makes him a team um, from the simple notion of just because you put people together doesn't automatically make them a team. And now that they are together and functioning as a team, how do you get them to deliver outcomes? And it really starts from our perspective of building great foundation, and then you can move into acting from there. And that really sets you up for success to happen in the future. So I think it really investing the time from my perspective in setting a good foundation is the key place to start. Yeah, I, I think that's a very important factor to consider before we get into the nitty gritties of what to do and how to do is some of those fundamental elements, which if they are missing, they will impact or they will degrade the quality of whatever performance actually happens in a team. So what, what do you think are some of those, are some of those key foundational elements? My favorite one and important one from my perspective is trust. And I know when I was working in companies, had the pleasure of eventually talking about trust, but I think for probably 15 years, that never came up in any team that I had been on. And now when I, of course, can look back, realize that trust is that key fundamental for 
setting that foundation of a good team. And even diving deeper into it now that I've explored it a little more and I'm trying to learn from the other individuals who build the qualities of what makes up trust and why is that so special in a team and looking at it from the four components of sincerity, reliability, competence, and care. And that is not my language. It's from the Thin Book of Trust, which I highly recommend. But it helps you tease it apart to really see how you build those components of trust. And from my perspective, it always starts with the leader. I don't know how you look at it. Yeah, I think absolutely. And the Thin Book of Trust by Charles Feldman, I would also recommend that to anybody who is listening. But just to expand on what you shared, right, the four components, trust can become one big abstract topic, which you either have or not have, but how do you make it actionable? And that's where I found these four aspects very powerful. Uh, and the first one, as you said, was um, about care, which basically means, do you have my best interest in mind? The next one, next three are actually quite basically competencies, which are sincerity. Are you sincere in what you're trying to do? And the second one is reliability. Are you reliable? Can I rely on you? And the third one is competency. That Are you competent at your job? And depending on what is missing, we can make it actionable to to build trust or to see if trust is missing in which segment of uh, all of these four rather than talking about trust as either you have it or don't, which I see so often in, in teams and, and in organizations. Yeah, it's very common to say, I don't trust that person. But to tease it apart and dive a little deeper and figure out why, what component is it so that it can be worked on to create a more cohesive team there. And with trust, it leads me into the safety of that because in order to have trust I feel like you have to be vulnerable and like I said it starts with the leader you know if the leader shares that vulnerable space and opens up to the team it creates that form of safety psychologically emotionally there and also it in the same time creates a physical safe space when a leader declares that we're going there we're going to talk about these yes. things. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you have heard of this uh, big study by Google. On So Google did a big study on teams, on what makes a good team and what makes a good manager. And the number one point which they came up was psychological safety. But I love it at all that you also add the emotional and physical part to it. Psychological safety is basically the way I see it is about opinions, is about having disagreements, presenting different points of view and being okay with that. But it's also much more important, I think, especially in the in a post-pandemic world, for us to have that space to express our emotions, express our feelings in a safe space again. And then physically also, am I do I physically feel relaxed or tense in this environment? And so safety goes much beyond the psychological. And as you rightly said, this is one of those foundational elements that if people do not feel safe, if people do not uh, feel uh, uh, there is enough space for them to be open either with their emotions with their ideas or just what is happening in their physical body it will impact performance the only question is are you aware of it or not it's not a question of if it will impact performance or not yeah and the awareness is key and 
sometimes you have to really step back to be able to see what's happening when you're in it and in the moment, not really seeing what's causing that disconnect or why maybe it doesn't feel safe sharing or opening up. What is that barrier and really stepping back to look at that so that then you can dive in again and work on it. Yeah, I, th I think I, you used the word stepping back and I think that's a very good word when we talk about these foundation and elements uh, because most of what we call as trust or psychological or emotional safety is created not by doing something extra, but actually by stepping back and giving space for silence, giving space for like that uncomfortable silence, which allows this safety and space to emerge. So rather than doing something new, many times it's uh, a matter of stopping and creating that empty space in which these elements can be filled up. And the silence allows for observation to see how people react even in that do they feel safe sitting in silence and observing yeah one of one of my coaches recently came up uh, with this idea that the more i slow down as a leader uh, the more uh, his teams were able to produce better quality results and i think there's a correlation there that slowing down is often not bad or not lazy or like we shouldn't fall into those inherited assessments of slowing down as not being productive. In fact, slowing down sometimes can actually allow us to work on these foundational elements, which makes everything else much more easier and much more productive. And I get curious, the question of teams and having better teams came up a lot to us. That's why we're talking about it. And I wonder if the reason it comes up so much as a challenge is because time isn't made to go back and go to the foundation again. The team's already together, they're moving along, they might not be as successful as they want them to be, but we don't have time to go back, we have to keep moving forward. So that slow down to either speed up or slow down to be more successful, whichever way you want to look at it, really has some power behind it. Yeah, yeah, I think Slowing down and having that space allows for all of these conversations, which we talked about the last time, to be present and not to be lost in the busyness of work. And then that allows people, not just the team leader, to address if some of those elements are missing. If the team is missing alignment around its purpose, if the team is missing or behaving in a way that violates the standards that the team has themselves set. The silence in the space actually allows people to to say something about it and then to do something. Yeah, and to me that leads us into what is that alignment? How is that team organized and what purpose are they aligned around? And again, taking that time to step back to make sure that's set, to have your purpose defined an organization, but then also as a team, how does your team purpose align with the organization purpose? And even further into vision, mission, values, all of those. Yes, and stopping also allows you to listen for these missing alignments, if they are missing. Then it gives uh, that space for people to speak into that empty space about what is missing, rather than just rushing into the next action. Yeah, and I think of it from like the HR perspective and onboarding, 
is time spent in that beginning when someone joins the company and then that team looking at these pieces. And especially if the new person is the new leader, do they have the opportunity to look at purpose and vision and mission and values and ensure they align? And then specifically for their team, is their time spent on making sure these are what they want for the future to really, again, build on that foundation so that they're setting their own team up for success. Yeah. Yeah, I think what came to my mind is that all of these foundational elements that we're talking about are meant to be embodied. They're not just meant to be understood as concepts or done as uh, like checking tick boxes once when either you're on board or when you kickstart a new team. They are meant to be embodied in the team leader, but also then everybody else in the team, which will make any disalignment or any lack of clarity in that embodiment very visible for people. And then they will be able to do something about it. It really provides the opportunity for commitment. You said fully embodying it, but also really committing to, we say we're going to do this as a team and we mean as a team, we're all in this. What does that look like? How are we then going to be able to hold each other accountable to this if we find that we have gone astray. Yes, exactly. And it's it's also the commitment to not just doing more or producing more results, but it's also the commitment to the purpose, to the standards, to the values, and to the ways of behavior that the team has set. So it's, and I think that also brings us very easily into the, like the day-to-day action part of it, the where most often I see people being busy or overwhelmed and continuously trying to do more or work harder. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, I think I'm seeing more and more of that even now, as you said, in post-pandemic, it's, oh, we all should be able to magically do more all over again, whether they've partially returned to the office or hybrid, whatever that may be. I think it's a time for reassessing how much should be on your plates and perhaps recommitting to what that looks like as the team. What actions are reasonable? Like you said about the leader who said that if they slow down, what does that really, what's the impact? I guess I'm thinking, test it, play it, play with it, see what the results are there and recommit. Exactly. And I want to add something here, right? So nobody, whether they are a team leader or a team member, is paid for doing more or working hard. The team is always paid for producing particular results for the stakeholders of the team. And if you ask any, most teams, they would say that they waste a lot of time in doing activities that don't matter. So the way I see it in the doing more and working harder, I think it can become a trap in that we can try to fill up time rather than questioning what is the value that we are here to produce. And then how do we produce that value? And that might involve working less or being less uh, occupied at at work, right? So I think this is, again, directly related to the title of this episode, which is going from doing more to producing uh, more outcomes and more value for our customers, right? Every team has a customer. And are we really taking care of their concerns and producing value? And sometimes doing more or being busy is not directly correlated to that. And. I think I was reading something lately and it just seems to be, it continues to hit me in the face of 
our work fills the time we have available. So if we're there, we think we're going to be there extra, then we, we may just drag it out or, hey, I'm going to double check this again or try this other method instead of making it fit in the time that it really takes and working more efficiently to produce the results, as you're saying. So how can the leader set them up, but also how can the team set those expectations and commitments together? What can they promise that they're able to deliver in what amount of time? The, the connection or the correlation between being busy and working harder to outputs or to productivity is, is merely an illusion. And because I, now I have seen people being very relaxed, very calm, not busy, and still producing more than what they were doing earlier. After working with uh, a few leaders over the last year or so, I have seen this shift that people can actually, and, there, and I think the key missing alignment there is on clarity, on uh, what is the result that you have promised. And for what reason, right? What value does it add to the customer of the team, to the stakeholders? And very specifically, clarity on what is expected, by whom, by when, and also why. What purpose does it serve for the customer? So for the team to have that clarity, they know now what, what meeting, what activity, what task is valuable and what is not. You mentioned the why. And I think the why is such a critical piece of it that is often overlooked the power that that has. Even if you're doing some mundane task, you know, sharing the why of that sometimes can really inspire or lift the person to complete that faster or better because they now understand why this task is so important to the overall results and outcomes of the team. Yeah. And why is like the context? If you don't share the context, then people have no idea why they are going to doing to be doing what they're doing. And if they don't have the context and they cannot suggest a better idea or they cannot suggest if something is totally not aligned with, with the long-term vision, with the long-term purpose of the company team or of the customer. Uh, so setting the why, I think, allows everybody to take or to be more autonomous and then raise important points when they need to be raised. I'm wondering how much of this is based on not communicating standards and norms up front, again, with purpose, values, all of that. How much of it is a foundation of the team, even within the actual actions and doing. What's standard response time? What's this project? How long should this project take? If this person doesn't do their part by this time, then it's going to set everybody else behind. What are the implications? The team um, not hitting their standards. Yeah, so obviously this is tied in with all the fundamentals that we have shared, but then being very specific in and clear in your communication is also a skill because a lot of the time we see communication like, uh, can somebody take care of that? Will you get this done by next week? Without being clear on what is expected and misaligned expectations are basically a reason for a lot of wasted time and effort. So being very specific in our communication and seeing conversations and communication is a skill which anybody can learn and not to have any agreement without the specifics of what is expected from whom to whom 
why when and for what reason right so if i am asking you to present uh, a report then how many pages of that report and do i want data do i want charts am i am i presenting it to the board am i presenting it to another team because everything changes the outcome which would serve the purpose so when people make request when people agree on what to do it's very important to be clear on who is going to be doing it who is going to be accountable for it what exactly is expected by when so that and for what purpose how this whole thing fits into the big picture uh, so that people if they feel there is a better way they can come and say you asked me this for this purpose i think there is a better way we can save time we can do something better that's what makes a team right not giving orders makes a team is when everybody thinks for what the team is responsible for i'm smiling because we're talking about effective communication and i know that we learned this in great depth during our coach training experience and when i was going through it it's like why isn't this taught earlier in life like why haven't we learned these things to be that explicit or maybe we were and we just go about life and forget so i don't know about you but now i'm so aware of making sure my requests and my commitments are very specific so that individuals know what to expect of me and i think how many situations may that have improved upon if that had been set up front and instead something went awry because that wasn't yes and i think a caveat with any request is that people have the like people should have the permission to say no because if people can't say no then you cannot trust any yes that you're getting right because it's it's not about people not about getting people to say yes it's about producing trustworthy promises which fulfill the purpose of the team then a trustworthy no is better than a half-hearted yes so it's uh, very important for a leader when it comes to clarity is to actually listen whether this yes which i am getting is coming from a place of commitment or from a place of fear or like somebody is saying yes just because they do not want to disappoint you and i think that's a big part of the clarity element which you just mentioned and with without clarity i'm going to look at it the other way what happens and i said about things getting off track and another thing that i've become so aware of in that is the value of actually declaring that there's been a breakdown whether that's been a breakdown in communication or a process procedure or even a breakdown in the team and something's taking the time to actually say this happened i recognize that this happened and then having a conversation of what does it look like to get back on track that really pulls everybody together and gives opportunity to declare what the future looks like on a path that works for everybody again Yeah this reminds me of one of my coaches was recently pointing out that he knew something was wrong in his team but he didn't know what and uh, one very simple question that i asked him why don't you go and ask your team right and and when he did that most of the people came up with very similar uh, answers and then he was like why didn't you tell me if he knew this was not working why didn't you tell me and i think that's what you were pointing out declaring breakdowns i think we all know what is not working or what is wrong or what will create a breakdown in results in the future but we do not have that openness or we do not feel free 
to talk about it. And then that's the value of declaring a breakdown. So not just know that this is a breakdown, but to make it explicit in language that this is a breakdown, even if it's an impending breakdown, even if it's going to impact my team or my performance two months down the line. But now can I declare it? And if I declare it as a breakdown, then I can do something about it. Once you declare it, it doesn't mean that you're back on track immediately. There may be time to figure that out too. I had one of those situations with the previous team I was leading. I knew something was wrong. I didn't know how to fix it either. So it was, we did what your client did. We had a conversation. This happened. I know we're off track. We're going to have this amount of time before we declare the new path so we can explore and figure it out. And it really took the pressure off needing to have the answers. One as the leader and two for the team. They knew we could explore together and figure out what that looks like to get back on track. Exactly. I think what declaring a breakdown does is makes something which is going to go wrong in the future explicit for everybody because it might be behind our consciousness. It might be something which one person is aware but others are not. Declaring a breakdown puts it out there in the open so that everybody is aware. And then you reduce the emotional strain of having a pink elephant in the room, which nobody is talking about. So declaring a breakdown puts it out in the open. And it's very clear to people then that if you don't talk about it, if you don't find a way to address this, then there is something which is at stake in the future. It's a very powerful leadership move, but I think it requires the right emotional space and right mood for, for this conversation to happen. What do, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I was thinking of that feeling that is created and it is, it's the right space and the mood because like you said with the leader, why didn't anybody say anything to him? Perhaps it was the mood or the space or they didn't feel that they could share that as employees. It often feels risky and when I put myself in their shoes, this feels risky if I'm going to go to my leader and say, this happened, there's a breakdown, or we have some ideas and you're not hearing them. Whatever that may be, the right mood, emotion has to be created to have that safety. I'm going to go back to that word, to the safety to be able to speak up and do that. And some of that connects to the culture but a lot of it comes back specifically to the space that the leader creates. I want to highlight that this is a very active activity, like not something to be done in uh, an offsite. So creating the mood happens in every conversation. Every time you show up in a particular way in your body and every time you speak with a particular tone of voice, every time you use particular words, you are shifting the mood and energy in the team. And people can feel it. It's not like it's hidden from people. So as leaders, it's very important to be conscious of what mood am I creating in my team? And is my language, is my tone of voice, is my physical posture reflecting that accurately or not? And sometimes that would mean simply asking people what is wrong and creating that space for an answer to come. Uh, and sometimes it, it might mean uh, like having clarity to challenge a yes which you are getting but you don't fully hear the commitment behind it. It's saying, are you sure? 
Like, do you have any concerns? If if you have any concerns, feel free to bring them up. But what I want is a fully committed yes, like not a half-hearted yes. And that is a part of like making moods and emotions very active. And every conversation, you're setting or destroying a particular mood. And what I felt very strongly as you were sharing is my mind went to pressure on the leader to always be creating that space and always be on and honoring the right space. And that, it's just not possible. Even the leader has a, a bad day, a bad moment, things happening. And I'm thinking about everything in the world today and that we've gone through. It, you're not going to have a great day every day. So the other option is sharing that too. Look, team, I know today I may be a little off. My apologies for that. I'm going to, you know, keep my head down. I'm here. I can answer questions, but we probably should save that conversation for another day when you know you're not in the right space to do that. I know I've had those moments. Life was happening and I still had to do my job, but I wasn't going to be creating that open space for the team to share or to do anything probably other than focusing on myself and doing the work I needed to do. So it's also okay to say that too. And it's a strength to be able to say that, right? Because a lot of people see being open and accepting what you don't know or accepting like what you exactly shared that I'm having an off day as a weakness. But I want to challenge that. I think that's a strength for a leader who can say that because this invites people to actually work as a team rather than just relying on, on one person. Anyways, as we spoke about the last in the, in the last conversation, responsibility in a team is shared. It is not uh, only the team leader's responsibility to make the team successful. It's everybody's responsibility to highlight what they see is missing. And the leader creates that space for everybody to show up as responsible leaders in their own by actually acknowledging that they do not have all the answers. It's powerful to be able to do that. Just to build up on what you were sharing earlier, right? We learned a lot of things in our coach training, which we felt that should be part of like normal learning. And I, th I, th I think continuous learning is a, is a key element of preparing ourselves for the future because all of these elements are either not known or if known, not practiced. So when we move away from the what to do and then how to prepare our teams for the future, I think one of the investments that every team and every team leader needs to make is into continuous learning, into identifying what are we missing, what skills, which could be hard skills, but which could also be skills like listening, empathy, and then what are we going to do to fill those gaps? And continuous learning helps the team and individuals in general, also helps the organizations retain their people because they know that they're being invested in their own growth and development. And it can take so many different forms, like you were saying, from formal training to mentoring formally and informally to coaching, which could be an internal coach, an external coach. The forms can be so different, but each have value in them and should be built into the organization and the team specifically for those learning opportunities. Yeah. And I think as with any investment, the time to make the investment is now, right? And a lot of people say that I will focus on my learning or I will focus on coaching or training when I have more time. 
when I am less busy. So the, the point we are making about investment is not to delay it to when you need it, but to actually create space by actually planning for that skill, like in, whether it is training, mentoring, coaching, to plan it into your daily calendar. This reminds also me of the seventh habit from Stephen Covey's Habits of Highly Effective People, which is sharpening the saw. So if you take a metaphor of cutting a tree, which is a very bad metaphor in the present world, if you do not sharpen the saw because you're too busy cutting the tree, you're only going to burn yourself out because the tools you're using, the skills you have is not sharpened. So sharpening the saw or working on your abilities and skills is not an activity to be done when you are out of bounds, when you are struggling. It's a day-to-day -day activity and investment which you make for your long-term future, just like exercising or any other similar activity. We have to have that. It's like routine maintenance, like you would need to do for your car, like the saw example. You have to do that to be able to continue and it helps motivate you to grow and learn and devote yourself more to that team and that organization because the possibilities and even if you're not getting promoted into other roles, you're growing within and that has so much power based on commitment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if we talk about investment, we cannot avoid talking about culture because that is one uh, like big uh, space under which all teams work, under which all performance happens, under which all moods and emotions arise and fall. So what's your take on culture and how does it relate uh, when it comes to a team producing outcomes? Oh, you're hitting my favorite space, culture. The culture is what makes it like fantastic. Your culture is almost like the secret sauce of your organization. Words, actions, behaviors, and you're clarifying and reinforcing what's truly valued in an organization. So going back to setting the foundation for your team, what communications looks like, all of that is your culture. And I love when I can just walk into a place and feel the culture. You can tell right away uh, when a culture has been defined and the employees are aligned around it because you sense it and feel it and it just surrounds you. And if you want to be part of that team, that space or not. Yeah. And, and I want to break culture down. I think culture is very clearly observable in the conversations that people are having in one company, one team versus another team. So we can, it's easy to make culture a big buzzword. But I think if you were to separate it out, if you notice two, two different companies with two different cultures, what you will see is very different conversations happening. And also what you mentioned about energy, right? The conversations happening are always happening in an energy, in a space of emotions. So if you notice in a company, you will immediately notice people sitting in a different way. You will immediately notice people either relaxed or tense. You will immediately notice people laughing or not doing so. Even if there is disagreement, you will notice very different conversations in a company where there is a good culture versus where is a culture which inhibits performance. So it's that invisible element which impacts everything. But in the end, it's a sum total of all the behaviors, all the conversations which people have. And this basically ties us to everything which we have spoken in these two, two episodes on Teams. Yeah. Uh, you keep giving me very vivid flashbacks of moments that connect to it. And 
I worked in a company and it was someone else's guest came in and they asked one of my coworkers, what is this a library? There's no talking, there's no laughing. So that person immediately got this impression of the culture that we had there. And the reality was their impression was, oh my gosh, it's very stiff and um, serious. And it wasn't always that way. So how to really be true to that, where you, you said the laughter, if you can walk in and you can hear that, but the people are really enjoying this place that they work. The elements we discussed in foundations earlier, I think those basically create the culture. And then that becomes an investment which needs to be done continuously. Uh, just like we were talking about learning, um, like having regular conversations on a particular matter, like emotions or the space or the culture itself is, is very important. It's like an investment you are making to create the culture for the future. But you have to make the investment right now. And I think the one kind of misconception is that you can declare the culture, like here's our values, here, here's what we're about, and you can declare it. And if the organization has been in place for any length of time, there's already a culture there. You have to grasp at it and figure out what it is and then it, do these words and all that represent it. And if it's not what you want it to be, how to shift it? What will time effort need to be invested to make that change? Uh, and, and it's never gonna be all things to all people. It shouldn't. Your culture should be unique uh, to your organization and be what you want it to be, what you want to create. And the people that align with that will want to be part of it. I, I want to add, like, it's, it's so easy for us to talk about culture. But exactly as you said, identifying the current culture and then shifting it is not easy. Uh, it, it can too easily be <clears throat> seen uh, as overwhelming. But once you identify what are the conversations which create a particular culture, then the access to you is to shift those conversations. Because if, if you see this company has a, has a culture of resentment, then there are particular conversations which people either have or do not have, which create that. And the, the opportunity for anybody who wants to shift is to basically practice different conversations and then deal with everything which comes up. Because when you suddenly start talking something new in a culture which is already established, you bring up a lot of hidden, hidden energy, hidden emotions. And then you need to have the skill to deal with that. And that's the sometimes not so easy process of changing a culture because it, it always changes from the conversations that you are having right now. So just like we, we can say about traffic, right? The traffic is bad, but we don't realize we are the traffic. I think it's similar with culture. We can say the culture is bad, but we don't realize that our conversations are creating that culture. And the best way to do is to shift our conversations. And... I think a component of that could be almost like declaring a breakdown. The culture is not what we want it to be. And we are going to work to shift that. And this is what, how we're going to do it. And coming back to building, rebuilding or building that trust from leadership to then move forward. And that way employees can choose to align with the direction the organization wants to go. Yeah, so I think this brings us back to the element of space where we started, right? You cannot plan or enforce a culture. A culture is like something which arises out of uh, providing space for a particular kind of conversation, connecting with people, then listening with them, 
addressing their concerns, having those conversations, which many often people say is not work. But we don't realize that if you have those conversations, what you can do as work in 10 hours, you can probably do it in four hours. And I'm not exaggerating. I have seen these results happen, like people being able to address missing clarities or address misalignments in promises much more easier if the relationship is better, if the culture is better, if the team is more aligned, if the energy in the team is better. So all of these elements, yes, they take time, they take effort, they take deliberate effort from the leader, but also from other people. But they all pay off in the end because then the work, everything else which you do or which you produce as a team becomes easier. Yeah. And I feel like we keep going um, kind of full circle and it shows that it's a journey, it's a relationship, it's conversations. And having a team that produces results is it, just like any other relationship where you need to cultivate it and put energy and effort into it. Or it's the fizzle. It, you, you might hit that lull and, oh, okay, we're just going through the motions, like you said, which might take way too many hours or not produce the same high quality. But spending time on nurturing the team with the purpose, ensuring alignment, doing checkups, whether that is an offsite or whether that's in your weekly or monthly meetings, what does that look like to ensure the team is still aligned and around purpose and taking care of each other, figuring out how to navigate any of the breakdowns that have occurred? And I think this is a very good place to, to conclude what you shared team is not a destination. A high-performing team is, is not like an objective to be reached and the team remains high-performing forever. It's a journey where you will move from high-performing to not high-performing and then back and then you will deal with whatever comes up. It's a fluid journey. It's not a final state to be reached. And then you have to nurture just like any other relationship, just like any other aspect of, of working with people. Teams, culture is about nurturing uh, by small daily actions and it's a never-ending process and that makes it I think a lot more fun than seeing it as a rigid series of steps to do and then you have a team or you don't have a team so what, what are your thoughts on that before we conclude before we end this yeah I it, it's not a checklist to go down it it's a fluid circular process it's like dancing like you might step on your partner's feet every now and then, or you might fumble a little bit. You just say, I'm sorry, and how do we get back on track and keep rolling ahead? But it's definitely not a checklist. It is something that needs your full embodiment and space and time devoted to it to be able to nurture the team and produce results, which is the ultimate goal. Yeah, I think the dance metaphor is a wonderful place to end this conversation. And for everybody who is listening, I think if you can dance with your teammates in conversations, metaphorically, you're, you're on the right track. That's what I have to say. Yeah, I think that's a great place to end. Enjoy the dance. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for this conversation, Leslie. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but also for those around you. 
This is what I do most naturally to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. I say what might be uncomfortable for me to say or for you to hear to show you that all our dreams which have been on hold are within our grasp. If you like the sound of it, do not forget to leave a rating. I invite you to subscribe to my newsletter at deployyourself.com slash newsletter. You can also reach out on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook to share any other comment or feedback. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.